If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. I am back with a listener episode, which we haven't done in a little bit here. This is a little bit of a different listener episode. I've done this one other time, but typically the listener episodes are anonymous, but I was actually approached by today's guest to come on and and share her story, and I jumped at the opportunity. She has such a beautiful story that I'm really grateful she came to share. I'm interviewing Eve Simmons today, who is a UK-based journalist. She writes for the Sunday edition of the Daily Mail, focusing mainly on health and wellness, but something that she went through, as you can guess, a breakup she went through about six months ago, really sparked this interest in in the relationship realm. And so she came on to share her story. And we do talk about a big part of her background in in the relationship was she, about 10 years ago, struggled with an eating disorder requiring hospitalization. So we do touch on, on that topic. And her ex-partner was a huge part of her recovery in that and was a huge you know, support system for her within her eating disorder recovery. And, and then six months after they got married, about nine years into their relationship, he basically just said that he didn't want to be married anymore and he didn't want to be with her. And so we not only talked about their dynamic within the relationship, I think this is really pertinent for people who there's any kind of addiction or any kind of big event that happens within the relationship, whether that's a death of a family member or just anything really intense people walk through within a relationship and then all of a sudden the relationship is gone and then you have to pick up the pieces But she has such a beautiful perspective on things and she really does this beautiful job of talking about how she surprised herself as she was navigating the split and learning how to be on her own for the first time in basically her entire life. She went straight from living with her her mom to moving in with her ex-partner. So I just love her story. I, I admire her strength in so many different areas of this story. So I'm really excited to share Eve with you guys and for you guys to be able to hear her story. Thank you, Eve, for coming on the podcast. It's such an honor to have you on here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm like fangirling. It's great to be on. (laughs) 
So this is technically a listener episode, but it's a little bit different. A lot of the time listener episodes are more anonymous, but you know, you had emailed me, you're a journalist and, you know, have a very interesting story, not just relationship wise, but just background wise. And so I thought you would be a perfect fit for a listener episode. So typically we don't do too much of introductions on the listener episode, but I I think it would be great if you could, you know, introduce yourself and give some background to the listeners. Of course. So my name is Eve Simmons. I am a journalist from the UK. I write about health and wellness and I am the deputy health editor of a newspaper called The Mail on Sunday, which is, I'm sure people will be familiar with the Daily Mail. It's it's, a, it's the Sunday edition of that newspaper. And I've spent a lot of time writing about my history of eating disorders or eating disorder and my experience of anorexia and my recovery. And I do a lot about what the struggles are for people going through it now and the lack of support, etc. And uh, I also have started and run a community called Not Plant Based, which is supposed to kind of bust diet myths and that kind of thing, but also just provide support for people experiencing eating disorders. And six months ago, my partner of nine years told me that he wanted to end our relationship. We actually just got married six months before that. So I'm currently in the middle of a divorce has been obviously horrendous as you would expect it was it was a complete shock I was almost blindsided it was my my only big relationship and now I'm sort of trying to navigate life without him but the thing that I think is most pertinent really is that he was a huge part in my eating disorder recovery throughout most of our relationship and so that's been a real It's been a challenge, but it's also been really interesting to watch myself without him being able to stay healthy and recovered. Thank you so much for for sharing that. I feel like as someone who comes from, you know, a background of addictions and things like Mm. that, it's always so surprising and also impressive that eating disorder recovery, I feel like it's really not talked about that that much. And I also think it's a really, really difficult addiction to overcome because, you know, for me with alcohol, it's super easy for me to just completely cut alcohol out of my life. I always think about it, it would be like me having to recover from alcoholism while still having to consume an appropriate amount of alcohol three times a day, which so it's it's like it's a very impressive thing to overcome. Would you mind giving a little bit of background on, you know, on the eating disorder? And maybe I think a lot of people aren't super familiar with with that whole, you know, with the whole world of of overcoming eating disorders. And so I would love a little background. Of course. Yeah. So when I was I'm now 32 when I was about 23, I was in the fashion world. I, I just qualified as a finished journalism school. My first job was in fashion journalism. And I noticed quite quickly that not a lot of people in the fashion world ate very much. And I wanted to be a part of that. I thought it was cool. I thought it was like trendy. That was what people were doing. That that would make me a great fashion girl. And I was kind of at the age also I was figuring out my identity. I was trying to move out of home and move in with my boyfriend, my then boyfriend. And uh, so I guess it was a kind of navigating my role as a woman and I sort of latched on to this idea of not eating very much and it wasn't anything to do with trying to be thin and it wasn't anything to do with my body image I've always been naturally quite small so I've I've not really ever had to worry about anything like that or, or or even been kind of conscious of it in the same way that some of my friends have 
And it was the first time that I really started thinking about what I was eating. And it, it just, the way that I always describe it, it was almost like a game. Like I was sort of, it became a focus. Like if I can eat as little as possible in the day, that means that I can have a bigger meal in the night. It, like when I go out for dinner in the evening, I can eat more. It sort of became like that. And and in the beginning, I didn't didn't really lose much weight. It was just a kind of psychological thing. And I wasn't really aware that it was developing into an eating disorder. I just thought, oh, this is just something I'm doing and I can stop doing it whenever I want. And it only took about three months for it to become a real obsession. And I started losing weight and I'm already quite small. I got very thin very quickly. And I started to find things like carrying handbags were quite painful for my back because my my bones were, were protruding. I was freezing cold all the time and I was living at home with my mum at the time and she started saying things to me like I'm worried you're losing weight and being a like 23 year old I just said oh you always think I'm I'm small you always think I'm yeah. losing weight and um, whatever and would just ignore it and then I I went to the doctors one day and the doctor tried to take my blood pressure and the cuff for the blood pressure didn't work because my arm was too skinny he then asked me to take off my jumper because he wanted to check my back. So I said my back was hurting and he was, he sort of visibly winced as he looked at my back. It was obviously so skinny. And it was the first time that I sort of thought, oh God, I might actually, this, this, the doctor is, is worried. I have a problem. Well, the first time he told me to go away and drink some milkshakes and not go to the gym, which is, I think it's quite common for doctors to not really understand yeah. what the hell to do with someone with an eating disorder. So that was obviously great for me because I thought, oh, well, I don't really have much of a problem. He's a bit worried, but he's not really going to do anything. So that's fine. And I'll just have some milkshakes. And then the thing about eating disorders is is the real key is that when you try and and change your behavior, you find that you can't, you're overwhelmed with anxiety. And, and you know, from addiction, right, I guess yeah. it's the same kind of thing. Like when you try and stop, you realize that actually you can't and and that was a big worry for me because I didn't like not being in control because that's all eating disorders are really it's about control and then finally my mum came with me to see the doctor insisted that I get a referral to an eating disorder specialist and eventually I did but I had to wait about three to four months before I actually saw someone which actually judging by today's <laughs> delays in the UK is not that bad. Eventually I got in to see a specialist team, but I was I was I was really ill. And um with anorexia, if you reach a certain weight, your brain isn't functioning properly. Mm. It becomes very, very difficult to try and recover on your own. And even though I was having sort of weekly appointments, it it just wasn't enough. So I started on a intense day program. And I only lasted there for a week because they said my weight was too low and I needed to be in hospital. So I ended up in hospital for six weeks and then came out and went back onto that day program thing. And that was sort of set me on my path to recovery. But I would say that that was what, eight, nine years ago. And really true, real recovery, I would say, only and that means sort of physically fully physically recovered which means having regular periods probably only happened for me about two and a half three years ago and even then you sort of realize that there's and that's with all the support I had great experts I had was lucky enough to, to be in treatment for a long time I had um you know an amazing partner amazing family amazing friends 
but it's really difficult as you say it's really difficult to recover from an eating disorder fully and I think that a lot of us think that we're recovered but then we realize in a couple of years afterwards actually I I wasn't there yet there's always a kind of another layer that you don't realize that there is and then you get to it and you're like oh this is actually like I'm not worrying about that thing or that thing's not even crossed my mind so yeah I guess that's and here I am today (laughs) fully recovered and and healthy and and totally fine and eating everything thank you for sharing that yeah I think eating disorders I I have a lot of friends that have gone through it I think there's a lot of people who like struggle with multiple addictions it's like they stop drinking and then like an eating disorder can pop up Mm. because it's you know So, but I think what I didn't understand was it's really like the mental obsession because there's so many different kinds of eating disorders. Totally. And, but really what they have in common is that like obsession around, Mm -hmm. and you mentioned it's like a game kind of Mm -hmm. a thing where it's like, if I can do this and then this, and then you think you have it under control. I heard someone say like addiction is so much like I feel like I had my hand on the switch the whole time and I could turn it off whenever I wanted to. And then all of a sudden you look up and the switch is just gone and you like can't access it at all. And timeline wise, so were you newly dating your now ex-partner when this was all starting or how did your partner fit into all this? So we'd been together for about, I'd say, it. so we met at journalism school and then um, we both actually were interested in going into fashion and that's kind of how we bonded originally. And when we graduated about, I'd say about six months into my first job, I started not eating normally. I started this kind of like obsession, but it wasn't having a huge impact on my life. I wasn't thinking about it 24-7. He did notice. And at that point, we'd only been dating probably about eight months, something like that. He did notice and he would say, you know, don't be weird or don't you think you should have that? I know you like that. And then I would sort of just do it. I would heed his encouragement. But then I'd say probably about a year in, it got to the point where I wasn't doing that anymore. And I was ignoring him. And it obviously causes conflict because he worried. And he'd always said to me when I was getting kind of sicker and sicker, and there was this big threat of a hospital admission, but we, we all thought that will never happen. I'll be fine. That will never happen. And he had said to me, I don't know if I could do it if you went into hospital. I'm not sure that I would be strong enough. He's a bit younger than me. So I think I was 23 and he'd just turned 22 or something. We were young. And I said, I understand, you know, we've not been together for very long. It's a huge, heavy thing to take on, but it won't happen. It won't happen. And then when it did eventually happen, the day that I was told I had to go into hospital, I called my mum and said, he's going to break up with me. He's going to break up with me. He can't do it. And that was the thing I was most terrified about. And um, it's a testament to him that she called him and said, she said to me, I will call him for you. I will tell him. And she called him and then he called me and said, don't be so ridiculous. I'll just push you around in a wheelchair. It will be funny. And I was like, oh, but he found that whole experience understandably incredibly traumatic. He was very emotional about it, but he came to visit and um, we sort of did it together and he was incredible and a huge support. 
but I think he perhaps didn't realise what a toll it took on him and didn't really have the outside support to be able to talk about it properly and understand it and process it. And I think that the sort of reverberations of that existed throughout the remainder of our relationship, but neither of us were really could really talk about it in that kind of way, I think, because he struggled to talk about his emotions at sometimes. So I just assumed that he was, was fine. he was fine. Yeah. 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 I think I talked to a lot of people, whether they're going through the addiction or their ex was going through the addiction. It's a really tricky mm-hmm. thing to navigate because obviously it does impact the people around us, mm-hmm. but it's also when someone is in the thick of that, you don't want to put your feelings onto them, but you do need support. So it's like, that's why, you know, there's support groups for people who are very close with someone who is in the thick of going through recovery. But then at some point there does need to be that, like once you're out of the really intense part of it, there does need to be the conversation of like, okay, let's do a temperature check here. Are you okay? Is there anything you really feel like you need to tell me? Those kind of things. But I think a lot Mm. of people don't have those conversations because they feel like everything's okay. They don't realize how much it's impacting them. And so that's, I mean, you know, that's how a lot of relationships go is there's just something that needs to be said that just never gets said. You just get on with the everyday, I think. You just- exactly. I'm with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those conversations like aren't comfortable, you know, and I'm sure, you know, both people have the intention of not wanting to to put something on the other person and not in and thinking it's helpful to not talk about it, you know, and you mentioned in the beginning kind of to fast forward that you were pretty much blindsided. Was there, I guess now looking back, like, was there anything towards maybe the end of the relationship? that would indicate that a breakup was coming? I'd say maybe in the last two or three weeks, there were kind of signs that we'd got married and it was, it was all very, I think that because of the eating disorder, our relationship had always been quite, we'd always said it was particularly special because we had this bond, this real impenetrable bond that we couldn't break because we had faced something so difficult and awful and got through it that most couples don't face so we had this understanding of each other that was really unique and special but I guess maybe looking back we sort of we put too much on that we thought that that would get us through everything when actually it's not a sort of a magic bullet that's going to see you through every different relationship challenge and just because you've been through something really awful and got through it doesn't mean that the things that are less awful are not worthy of of exploring or talking about or trying to kind of pick apart as well and maybe we sort of brushed past things that were less heavy because we thought oh well that's not a big deal we've dealt with something bigger but actually it affected both of us kind of thing we just got married it was very stressful in the run-up to our ma- our wedding for many reasons because of COVID. It had been delayed several times and we had quite a lot of kind of outside family stress as well. He was looking for a new job. I have a very stressful job. And the sort of momentum of the wedding had died off slightly by the time we got round to it. We also have very different families. So I have a, I guess pretty kind of standard North London Jewish family 
there's lots of warmth and love and food and comfort and celebration and his family were from the north of England and, and lived in a very small village and they have a farming background so completely different worlds yeah. and they weren't sort of as I guess comfortable with talking about their emotions as my family were it's like a constant stream of emotions with my family yeah. which I don't know which one is better but yeah <laughs> somewhere in the middle probably I think that there was a lot of stress around the time of our wedding then we got married and I was very worried about I wanted to have a baby at some point in the near future and I was very worried because of my history of eating disorders and I'd been told that everything seemed normal but my periods were still a bit irregular I, I was completely healthy and and my weight's absolutely fine I was eating completely fine I wouldn't say I had any kind of trace of an eating disorder really but my body just I guess had been kind of kicked out of whack and and it was still slightly irregular sometimes so I'd seen doctors and they told me everything was fine and I think because of the kind of residual worries and concerns relating to the eating disorder they always kind of put us in a situation where there was something big at play that we were grappling with mm. and that overtook and and I think that maybe it meant that our relationship and the things that maybe he was unhappy with and looking back I was unhappy with we didn't really get a chance to explore or open up about I think there was an underlying worry about me as well that it was he adopted a bit of a kind of rescuer complex so yeah perhaps he started to see me in a different way he was incredibly anxious and worried that I was going to get ill again and I think that when we came to thinking about having children it was like I mean I would argue that getting married to someone is definitely a like this is this is it for life there's no going back but I think maybe it didn't hit him uh, or something until it was the time that it was like, okay, we're not using protection anymore kind of thing. We had a, a lovely holiday in Mexico two weeks before the breakup. And we, we agreed that we were stuck in a bit of a rut and that we needed to kind of go out on dates more and do things. But we'd been together for nearly a decade. So I had kind of expressed this concern and he had said to me, we've been together for nearly a decade what do you expect it's not all like roses and lovely times all the time that's just not realistic and I thought he's right so I thought that was where he was coming from and I think that maybe there was a situation where he saw what the other side could what life could be like if things were a bit more carefree um I think perhaps and I thought that he had accepted that this was our life and that we had such a brilliant foundation and could build on things. And and there was a, a point where I, I could see that he wasn't really making the effort and he wasn't interested in making the effort. And um, I thought maybe he's just a bit down. He did sometimes get a bit depressed. He'd got a new job and I'd say about a month before the breakup, he got this new job and he was upset that there hadn't been enough, I guess, attention on the new job. I, at the time, was going through a really random bout of anxiety, very severe anxiety. And I then went on some medication and the medication made it worse initially, which can sometimes happen. Yeah. And 
I ended up just being in a complete state. I couldn't function. It was the first time I had to take time off work. And I think he found that difficult to deal with and it it frightened him. And, and maybe that kind of made him think, I don't want this for the rest of my life. I don't know. And still there's kind of unanswered questions, I guess. I think the thing is with some men who don't feel comfortable about talking about their feelings, it can be a sort of, they make the decision in their head. They don't involve anyone else in yeah. um, in the way that they're thinking, which is unfortunate. And I have heard since that this is quite a common thing with, with some men, especially when couples have been living together for a long time. So I came home one day from work and, and literally I said, is everything okay? And he said, no. And he's confused. He's not sure what he wants. And then we had kind of a week of him thinking about things and then eventually he said he doesn't want doesn't want to try to make it right he just thinks it's better to give ourselves the best chance and not waste any more time basically which was a yeah a huge I thought shame because I thought there was things that we could work on and and I do think it's generally a sort of male and female difference that women will acknowledge that there's difficulties but be willing to work on them and think you know things aren't perfect relationships aren't perfect but we have this great foundation and we know we're happy because we've been happy together for 10 years but yeah he didn't want to do that unfortunately I think well I know the book men are from Mars women are from Venus is like so outdated and super sexist of a book but I do remember when I read that book the one thing that always stuck with me was that men kind of make decisions like in a cave and women Mm. talk it out so I think that Mm -hmm. is very like common like you know, I not even for big decisions, but like I will talk out like almost everything that I'm kind of thinking of with friends or with people. And I think men kind of process it internally and then are like, this is my decision, which is, you know, when you're in a relationship, you kind of need to involve the person that you're in a relationship with in your decision making. I did want to ask, was there any part of you who like when you were kind of feeling that he wasn't really putting in the effort and and maybe not talking about things. Was there any part of you that carried any kind of like guilt for the like your past and maybe thinking like, I don't want to be like burdensome within the relationship? Was there any part of you that dealt with that? I know I dealt with that in mainly with like family members after my mm-hmm. addiction. I remember like thinking that I had to forever make it up to them and not be a problem, quote unquote. And it caused a lot of issues in in relationships, I'd say, because I was so just focused on like being easy for people. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I'd say looking back now in hindsight, it's amazing what, right, what yeah. hindsight does and makes you realize about a, a certain relationship, any relationship. And I think I carried that guilt probably for the whole the whole entirety of our relationship yeah it kind of played out in different ways and I I think what can happen is that you take on different roles and he very much took on the role of for many different reasons I mean I was I was had a always had a quite a demanding job and have been in the office throughout COVID I was in the office basically the whole time whereas he was at home he could work a lot more from home he had for most of our relationship a lot more of a relaxed working environment so he could kind of jump off and make dinner and go play tennis or whatever whereas I was very much stuck to my desk all the time but I wouldn't say that I I think that that's that was the way our relationship always was and that's to be honest who I am I'm I'm 
I love what I do. I've always been quite ambitious and I've always been really involved in being a journalist and and you have to be there to be involved and be engaged and that's always going to be who I am and and I kind of thought that he was comfortable with that but maybe that changed over time but anyway I think the anxiety of me becoming unwell again drove this this very binary role in our relationship and so he would make dinner most nights he would it was mainly also because he loved his food so he wanted to cook what he wanted to cook but I do think there was a kind of like if I cook this for her she will eat it and I realize now that sort of lay this layer in my mind of I'm always going to be sick or there's always going to be a risk that I'm just an inch away from becoming unwell again or I'm still not all the way there and I wonder whether it meant that I carried that that for longer than was really necessary because I thought as soon as we broke up that I would it was my biggest fear that he he had cooked dinner even if we'd kind of gone out for dinner and I'd say you know like kind of most women I would be like oh I had a big lunch so maybe I'll just have something lighter yeah and he would say do you really want something like I'd say oh I'll just have the salmon or whatever and he'd be like you don't want the salmon have the burger you want the burger and I'd be like yeah I want the burger have the burger okay and that's the kind of thing that he would always do that you wouldn't really I wouldn't really ever get with my girlfriends or anyone else really yeah that is really interesting and it kind of reminds If you are a listener of this podcast, you know I warn about how your phone can either be a great tool or a huge obstacle when it comes to getting over your breakup. Instead of spending time on your phone trying to figure out what your ex is up to, why not spend some time engaging in a super fun mystery game that will help take your mind off your breakup? June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I am such a big mystery and puzzle fan, so this game has been so fun for me to get into. When I'm looking for a little escape from reality during the day or a way to relax that doesn't involve social media, it's been so fun to use my brain in a new way by diving into June's captivating quest and engaging my sense of observation to find the hidden clues. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It is so important to share your thoughts and feelings while going through a breakup, especially if it's something you're feeling any guilt or shame around. I know whenever I'm struggling with a certain thought or situation and I keep it to myself, it gets heavier and heavier and feels harder and harder to manage. I truly believe we are as sick as our secrets. Therapy has always been a safe space for me to have a judgment-free zone to get things off my chest. Whether it's something from my past, a current struggle, or something I'm anxious about in the future, I always feel lighter when I'm able to share something that feels scary. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash heartbreak. 
The last time I went through a breakup, I know my mom was someone I was really able to lean on and get support from. She has always been a rock for me through heartbreak and everything in between. And with Mother's Day right around the corner, I wanted to share an idea of something super special that you can gift to your mom. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Every week, they will email your mom a question, and she can either type out an answer or record one. And at the end, mylifeinabook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book, and they can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. I gifted my mom this, and it means so much to me that I can not only learn so many of her stories, but also preserve them for my kids and future generations. My mom has already talked about how fun it's been for her to reflect on her past and think about things that she hasn't in so long. It even prompted her to dig up some old photos from when she was in the newspaper for being the only female mail carrier in Detroit in the 60s. So cool. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code HEARTBREAK at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code HEARTBREAK for 10% off today. I mean, I think it's obviously he handled your recovery like in the beginning really well and was obviously super supportive, but it kind of does. I mean, I what keeps coming to my mind is like when there's infidelity within a relationship, like, yes, obviously there's it's like a big deal to go through. But if both people agree that they're going to continue the relationship afterward, like you can't necessarily hold something over someone's head for like a long period of time. You know, it's mm-hmm. like there does need to reach a point where it's like, okay, we went through this really intense thing, but we're both agreeing to move forward within the relationship. And that does sound like that would be difficult to like, I always compare it to when I'm like recovering from, from drinking. I'm always way more uncomfortable if someone does not drink around me than I would Mm. be if they had it in front of me. It makes me feel way more uncomfortable if someone's like making a big deal about the fact that I'm not drinking and they're drinking. I would rather it just be like, we're both good. Unless I say I'm not good. We have to assume that like everything's fine. Because they're drawing attention to it and making you feel like it's a thing. You're different. Mm. Exactly. And that's like not a great feeling to have. So I can imagine that would be a difficult dynamic. Mm. Mm. And, you know, kind of moving into dealing with with the breakup. I think the first question I want to ask about navigating that is whether that's subconsciously or consciously that he was such a big part of the recovery. Was there any like initial thoughts when going through the separation that like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go back into that. I'm going to go back into the eating disorder. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And also because I haven't ever lived on my own. I went straight from living with my mom at home and being in the throes of the eating disorder to being in hospital to then moving in, being partly recovered and moving in with my ex-partner. So he had always had been a kind of third eye on me and my eating. and. I guess it was a terror that I've never done this on my own. And the last time I tried to do this semi on my own, I was living at my mum's, but I was kind of like taking care of myself. I failed miserably and I ended up yeah. in hospital and I nearly died. Like, So yeah, it was a huge thing. And the last time, one of the last times I saw him, we were both really emotional and he said to me, please eat, please eat. And I, I just kind of didn't say anything. And I guess as soon as the breakup happened, the first thing that I noticed was that my initial response was that fight or flight, right? So you're just 
so unbearably anxious and my stomach was in knots and that's usually how I react to difficult things anyway but I just was going over and over it in my head and felt sick all the time so physically I couldn't eat which is very common regardless of whether someone is struggling with an eating right? disorder in the past it's that's a very common thing it's very hard to eat but it was actually I think I noticed very quickly probably in the first week how recovered I was and how strong my recovery was because I felt so physically ill but all I wanted to do was eat McDonald's that was all I wanted to do I wanted to do the like comfort eating breakup thing I wanted to get into bed and like order whatever I wanted to order and just like literally stuff my face like that was all I wanted to do and not in a disordered bingy way just I wanted to like watch the notebook and do that whole thing Because I was like, there's got to be a silver lining here and that has to be, has to be it. This, I've got to take the small wins. But I couldn't because I felt so physically ill. And every time I tried to eat something, I just felt sick. And I guess it was quite empowering for me because it made me think, okay, it's my body that's doing this. But my mind is empowering me to be healthy and to carry on fueling myself. And in a way, telling me this isn't where it ends for you. Like, there is life beyond this and you are going to be okay. And that was, I think, a huge thing for me that really kept me going. And within two weeks, I just sort of said to myself, I'm going to get myself off my mum's sofa. I'm going to see my friends as much as possible. I'm going to, the thing for me is distraction. I have to distract myself. So anytime there was an opportunity to go anywhere, I would do it. And I talked a lot about it with my mom and whatever, but I just threw myself into my friends and everything else and work. And and it it did kind of just kind of keep me going. And within that, I found very quickly that food just wasn't something that I was thinking about at all. And once the sort of anxious, initial anxious sickness had gone, I remember actually a few days in, I was feeling really physically sick and anxious and struggling to eat. And my mum had gone out and she was so worried. She kept saying, please eat something. I'm going to go and buy this so that you can eat this. And do you want some chocolate? Do you want this? Do you want this? And I just was like, I would love to, but I feel so sick. And she was out and I thought, no, I've got to do something about this. I've got to eat something. So I ordered McDonald's and I realised it was actually the first time that I myself had ordered mcdonald's or any sort of like junk food by myself probably since before my eating disorder i had never taken that autonomy myself i'd done it sure like after a night out with friends but never just by myself and my mum walked in the door and i had this like sat on the floor with all this mcdonald's and she was like what are you doing (laughs) i was like i don't care i'm eating a burger i'm just gonna do it this is really important And yeah, I didn't throw it up. So that was good. She was probably so happy to see that though. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think so. She was like, oh, it's weird how it's not really been a problem. And I was like, no, not really. So, and that made me realize that I think quite a lot of my expectation of my recovery and how maybe fragile it was had possibly come, been a projection of his worries. Yeah. Maybe that he was so worried about it happening that, I then thought I was close to it. I mean, he had been really supportive and great and 
and what he said was of course you're recovered and of course you're fine and I never have to worry about that but I guess his behavior kind of showed otherwise perhaps and and maybe I took that on or maybe it was just the knowledge that he had been there throughout and the knowledge that he was obviously worried about that and that played into how I thought about my own recovery that's like I mean so many things like so many great things that you just said but I do think that feeling of oh I can do this you know without him and not even in like a showy like vengeful way but just like this inner strength that we have. And I think that's so important. And it's like amazing that you were able to have that so early on in the breakup. That's what, you know, people will say, like, how do I get the strength to navigate the breakup? You get the strength from showing yourself that you can do it, you know? And that's why I say, like, it's so important to do, if possible, the no contact early on because it's a win, you know, and showing yourself that you're stronger than you believe and that you can handle things like that. Because I'm sure that strength that you had from like, okay, this obsessive thought about food hasn't come back. I'm sure that was hugely fuel moving forward when you had to deal with like, I mean, you know, you have to deal with a divorce and you still have to deal with all the fallout from a relationship ending. But I'm sure that that the strength that you showed yourself, which is like, that's why I say like, that's how you build self-esteem. That's how you build confidence is showing yourself that that you can do those kind of things. I'm sure that was a huge amount of fuel for you moving forward. Definitely, definitely. And I think that I realized that one of my biggest fears about the breakup was that I wouldn't be okay on my own. And that means lots of things. It means being recovered, but it also means how am I going to live on my own? How am I going to pay a bill by myself? How am I going to set up internet by myself? All of those things. And I guess that was the first moment where I said to myself, you are going to be on your own because you are on your own and you have to be on your own. And, And that's not to say like, you know, I'm not going to meet someone else who I'll have a relationship with and who I'll love very much. But it's it's that kind of like all of the practical things that I feel are really important for me to show myself that I can do on my own. And that was the first one. It was like, if I can keep myself alive and do the very basic thing that I've been so petrified that I haven't been able to do, then everything else will just fall into place. I can do everything else on my own and I'll be all right. And you know, I'll say that over and over, but I don't believe it. Like I'm terrified yeah. of doing it all on my own. I'm actually about to buy, sell our house that we had together and we're, I'm going to buy a flat on my own and live on my own for the first time. And it's terrifying. Yeah. But I guess the the sort of knowledge that the very, very worst has happened, you've hit complete rock bottom. The rug has been pulled out from under your feet and there are no certainties. Almost when you reach that rock bottom, you kind of think, well, I can only gain from here. Like, yeah. I can only teach myself things. And it's shown me the things that I don't know or that I am insecure about or vulnerable about. And I guess what has been empowering is all of those things are things I can learn. They're all things that I can change, mm-hmm. like being able to feed myself properly, like, you know, knowing about my finances, all of those things you know, I'm an adult and I can, I'm a functioning adult and I can teach myself those things. And I guess that's been quite empowering as well to know that none of those things are beyond my control. They're all things that I can learn and I can enrich myself with. And the knowledge that that journey is upcoming and that I'm going to be able to enrich myself with all of those things. And the the person that I'm going to be once I have all of that, I guess is, is kind of 
is the thing that I'm holding on to and is quite exciting. And and also I would just say, I'm sure everyone on your podcast says this, but the power of of amazing female friendships is yeah. just beyond life changing. The day after the day my breakup happened, I went to my mum's house and my two best friends came over and we all just sat on the sofa together crying and talking and, you know, they'd been my bridesmaids at my wedding. And I think it's been a huge, you know, I won't swear, but head mess for them too, because yeah. this was the the relationship that they thought in their world was stable and going to last forever. And he was the dependable one. And all of the, these men that had showed themselves to be assholes, he was great and trustworthy. And then he wasn't. And we all kind of shared in it together. And just having their belief that I can do whatever I want to do and that I will be okay. I think really, really has been a huge, huge crutch for me. Yeah. Just having people that you love and respect, having faith in you. And I guess when you're in a relationship for such a long time, you spend so much time with that person and your view of everything starts to morph into what their view is. So you realise that your view of yourself becomes their view of you. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's only when you, you're away from that that you start to think, actually, who am I? And I'm not just the way that this person sees me. I'm also the way that my friends see me and people who I've never met before see me and people at work see me. And that's, that's a very different vision. And once you start to take all of that on, you sort of think, okay, there's a, there's a huge broad definition of me that isn't just this one thing that makes me feel insecure like I can't cope yeah and you get like so much more of a balanced view I mean it's scary to like put all your eggs in one basket kind of a thing of like how someone sees you because if they're having like an off day they're dealing with their own stuff but it's kind of projected onto you then all of a Mm. sudden it's like feels very devastating when in reality you know we can take a step back and be like okay they're having you know they're having an off day maybe they're like frustrated with something about me but like I have friends that love me like my I'm very respected at work. It's like we don't have to we should never have to put all of our self-image and in, into the hands of, of you know, one person. But I think so many people do that. Like I've done that so many times in in relationships. And I want to go back to what you said about your friends. I think it's so important to have at least one person in your life when they tell you it's going to be okay. You really believe them because I think when you're in that point of like hopelessness and, and feeling like things are not going to be okay, having someone that you can kind of borrow their hope for you Mm. is really important. It's very important. And I remember, you know, when my person said that to me, it like almost brought me to tears because it's like, okay, I trust you. Like I trust Mm. when you say that I'm going to be okay. I trust you. And I know that things, I don't believe it for myself, but I believe you. So Mm. I'll take that, you know. Yeah, definitely. And I had actually my best friend who I've known since I was three, she had a very similar situation happen a few years ago. She wasn't married, but they lived together. They were pretty much on the trajectory to get married, have children, be together forever. They were together for about eight years. And he, very similar, one day came home and said, I'm not into this anymore. I want to break up. It then turned out that he had met someone else, but she found that out later. And I remember her calling me, telling me, and she 
I think one of the reasons why she was so emotional is because she was reliving it. She was seeing it happen again through me. And I felt, I had huge guilt for that. I felt awful. It was like the most traumatic and painful thing for her. And and she was having to see it through one of the most important people in her life. And I remember I said to her, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And, and she said, well, but in a way it's a blessing because if I can take some things from that I learned from my experience and have them benefit you it wasn't in vain like there was a point to what happened and there's some benefit to it and that makes me feel much better and that I mean I just like cried it was like the sweetest thing that she could have said but for instance there was an occasion where she had said to me on the the night that we had broken up and we were all together she said to me the one thing that you have to do is go back to that house do not leave that house you're not leaving that was the one mistake that I made it was my flat and I got all of my stuff and I left and it was his decision and why should I have to lug all of my stuff on the tube she put all her things in in like plastic bags and and it was horrible for her And she said it was her biggest regret. And so when he was telling me that he didn't want to leave the house, my instant reaction is always to run away. And my mum lives relatively close and I could have just gone to hers, but I had her in my head saying, no, do not leave. And and I refused and said, no, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. And I think he was shocked that I had taken that stance because I it was so out of character for me. I would I hate conflict. I just want would run away. And it was a horrible situation. And in the end, he en- he ended up leaving for that night. But it was it was hugely empowering because it, she was completely right. Like it was my house; I pay half the mortgage. He was making this decision. Why should I totally. be the one that has to leave? And if she hadn't have said that, I totally would have just ran away. And I guess it is a kind of a symptom of an awful thing that's happened to someone else. But if they can give you a little insight to make it that bit more, to make it so that you don't feel like you're a complete mug and you've been, because that stuff has a huge effect on your confidence. I mean, my confidence is probably going to be in tatters for the next 10, 20 years, I would have thought. And I I think that maybe sometimes men, when they do these things that, that, that I understand, you know, people fall out of love. It happens. That's horrible and painful and devastating, but it happens and it's an unfortunate fact of life but the way that it is dealt with and communicated to the other person the person who has been your person for such a long time is so important to get right because that has repercussions for years and further relationships and relationships with everyone in their life and I just wish that I'm going to say men because I do think it's mainly men, maybe some women too, but I wish that that men were more aware of the way that they communicate these decisions they make. Yeah. One of my goals in the next year is to make create a course on how to end a relationship, not because I'm encouraging people to end relationships. I've just heard so many mm. horrible stories of how relationships ended. It's like, okay, the least, like, I feel like I could at least educate people on if you're already going to do it, not to encourage it, but if you're already going to do it, just take some advice on, you know, on how That's you're going to handle That's a great idea. That is a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I just have heard it go wrong so many ways. 
But I, I feel like the thread in, in your story is like, I think you're going to get through this by all these like empowering things that you're doing. You know, it's like, okay, I thought I wasn't going to be able to feel strong in my eating disorder recovery. I felt really strong. I almost gave up the house and didn't get out, but I said, no, I'm going to stay here. Like you're just like building on a strength that you didn't know you had. And the same thing with like when you're going to get your own flat and you're going to figure out your internet and you're going to do the bills. Like you said, like it's scary, but it's also kind of exciting. And I had someone tell me once that like anxiety and excitement are the same wavelength of energy. It's just how we're looking Mm. at it kind of a thing. And this is not to say that anxiety shouldn't exist. I think it's a very normal emotion and I think it has its place, but I always like to think about that. Like when I'm feeling really anxious about something, I'm like, it's also exciting in a way. Totally, totally. And I think also that, especially if you've been with somebody who's a very kind of like, is a doer and will just get up and do something and like, you don't really ever have to ask for help because they're just there and they're a great person. And and my ex was like amazing at everything around the house. Like yeah. he was so great and and he helped my mom and he was like really helpful and, and brilliant and things like that. And I think that you, you kind of develop this idea that if you have to ask for help, then you failed mm. and that everybody can just pick up something and do it and by themselves. And actually what I've realized is like, most people can't do anything. Most people yeah. can't even put pictures up. Like, yeah. and if they do, it's a huge win and people just get by because they ask people for help. Like whether yeah. it's, calling somebody to come and paying them to do it or whatever like you figure it out however you do that you do just figure it out and I think it's really important to have that in your head that it's okay even if you have to go to the ends of the earth to find somebody to come and do it you will figure it out yeah and like knowing that you're deserving of having someone to do it Mm -hmm. not because you can't do it or you're like to quote unquote weak to to figure it out, but because you're worthy enough to like have help and you're worthy enough to, you know, I know I always struggled with that with like paying for things that, you know, seem lab. I don't, I don't know, like paying someone to come help me do something like I deserve that. Not because I'm lazy or because I'm weak, but because like my time is valuable, my I'm valuable and I deserve to, you know, be able to do that. Completely, completely. Yeah, totally. And I think being able to do the things that you finding out again, the things that are important to you. And, you know, one of the things was that I, like I said, I've always worked very hard and my work ethic has always been a massive part of who I am. And I think if you're a person that maybe doesn't have that passion for what you do, it's really difficult to understand. Mm hmm. And I think sometimes that my ex struggled with that. And and I do think there were times where I probably didn't prioritize our relationship enough because I was too involved in what I was doing in work. And maybe if I was with somebody who also had that kind of fire and drive, they would be doing the same Or at least someone can understand, you know, or at least someone who can respect it and be okay with it at a distance kind of a thing, Mm. you know? And that's what I think, like... That's why I say so many breakups come down to like this level of incompatibility kind of a thing because it's like you should never change your love for work. I think that's amazing that that you have that. And I know that there are people out there who will either have that same feeling and be able to respect that or who don't have that and are just like, I love that she has such a fire about her work kind of a thing. Mm, yeah. Instead of having to like <laughs> doubt yourself and yeah. 
just knowing like there's someone out there that will either match it or, or respect it kind of a thing in that way. Mm. I feel like you've kind of, you know, touched on this throughout. My favorite question to end on for people is what's been the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself since the split? I think probably that the worst thing can happen ever and I can still find a way to be happy. And and that that actually before my eating disorder, the thing that I guess I always quite liked about myself was that I was quite happy-go-lucky. I, I never really took things to heart particularly. I was quite just loved having a good time. I loved going out with my friends, loved laughing. I just was kind of drawn to people who were just really good energy and fun and and never really let anything kind of touch the sides really. And then when I got ill, what often happens with eating disorders is your whole personality changes. You sort of become, you start dancing around this this thing and, and it's all consuming. And I suddenly became this like uptight, highly strung person who was worried about things that just weren't important. Mm-hmm. Obviously they felt very important to me, but they just in context and objectively really weren't. And that got applied to sort of everything in my life. So things with work, I became really anxious about small little things. Um, I started kind of honing in on stuff about myself that I didn't like. And it's taken a long time to kind of distance myself from that. And I would say probably that within the relationship, there were parts of me that was still a bit like that. And I guess it's the first time since the breakup. It's the first time since before my eating disorder that I really felt like I've got back to that girl and that I can be feeling awful and anxious and worried about things, big things, but actually the kind of day-to-day I'm able to just be with my friends or be with new people that I meet and connect with instantly and just be a kind of fun person. Yeah. And I haven't really recognized that person in, in quite a long time. And I guess it's the kind of, it's quite joyful to know, to be reassured that that is the person you are. That is who you are. You're not a kind of highly anxious, stressed, difficult person. You are quite carefree and and therefore you're going to deal with things in life and you'll be able to deal with them, I guess. That's amazing. I feel like it's like, you're back to being able to trust yourself, you know? Mm. It's surprising that you can think you're in the most healthy, dependable, stable relationship and that's the person you are. And then you're out of that relationship and you realize that maybe it wasn't the healthiest place to be because, you know, even though things have been awful and I wouldn't wish this situation on my worst enemy I wouldn't go back to where I was like a month before the breakup I kind of prefer who I am now which is mad because like my whole life has been turned upside down yeah but it's it's just surprising how you sort of never know you know we we focus on the positives we dismiss things that maybe aren't ideal because we want to believe the best about every situation and I think most people in long-term relationships are probably doing that I'm not sure what the balance is right now I don't know at what point you think you're brave enough or sort of 
curious enough to think actually there's so many brilliant things about this but the I have to be honest with myself about the things that I feel I could do better I could do better I could yeah not necessarily with another person but I could feel better about these things in my life if I wasn't with that person and I think that if most people in relationships are honest with themselves they probably just don't know at what point that happens yeah and I think that's one of the beautiful things that does come from breakups is this ability to to kind of pause and and reflect and have this like kind of clean slate to to work not even clean slate but just new beginning to to learn from and and to try out new things as you you're going to try out you know quote unquote new things with with friends and at work and you kind of have this this playground or laboratory to like work things out when you're going through something like a breakup whereas when you're in a relationship things especially for that long things feel very set in stone and mm. i think that you know that's kind of what you were saying is like we get kind of trapped in that but I'm so appreciative of your time and you sharing your story. And there were so many beautiful little nuggets that you said throughout this interview. So I know people, whether or not they're navigating an eating disorder or any kind of addiction or just everything that you touched on was was really relatable. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I want to say as well, if anyone has um, problems with eating disorders and wants help in the UK, the eating disorder charity is BEAT. I think in the US, it's the National Association for Eating Disorders or the National Center for Eating Disorders. I'll link both of those things in the show notes as well as your Instagram and things like that. Because I was looking at your Instagram and I mean, even someone who didn't struggle with that, it's still very, as a millennial, we're the exact same age. I feel like anyone that was raised in diet culture, <laughs> it's very helpful to to see an account like that. Oh, good. That's good to know. Yes. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much again. And hopefully people can connect with you and excited to, to see where your journey goes next. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise. 